our second episode talking to Duncan Painter, CEO of Essential PLC. We go back to when he initially founded ECI portfolio alumni Clarity Blue over 20 years ago. I asked him, did he have a deliberate approach to leadership strategy at that time? Yeah, I think it, the core to that, I would say, is, is how I've always been, which is I'm just myself. Um, and that, you know, that style either works or it doesn't for people. But it, but it, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm not trying to be an actor when I'm thinking about how I run the business. I, I was very, very lucky to be in some phenomenally good companies in the early phase of my career and companies that really invested in young people in teaching them how to run businesses well. Well, there were two that were the most, for me, uh, definitive and sort of, you know, certainly shaped the way I would look at management. And the first one of that was a UK company called Dixon Stores Group, which was at the time being being run by the founder, Stanley Carms, uh, you know, which obviously we, you know, people in the UK would know it as PC World and Curry's and these sort of people today. But um, at the time, the Dixon's brand was very prominent. And I joined it, it when it was only 100 stores, 120 stores. So much earlier in its in its success story. But they really taught you, it, you know, how to empower young people, how to put the right frameworks around them, how to um, be very, very clear in what you want, you know, and then let people deliver against that. So real clarity of what was the environment. And then secondly to that, I was then very lucky to go to electronic data systems or um, a subsidiary or a joint venture of it um, called Atashi Data Systems. You know, I met there some phenomenally experienced leaders who, in fact, a gentleman by the name of Steve Jakes, who was the MD of that business. And so those two environments taught me an awful lot about um, what are the frameworks you need? How do you make sure people are very clear in the objectives? How do they start from a very simple set of annual kind of or long term plans into annual plans down to each individual understanding how their individual objectives add up to that? And, and therefore, more importantly, if they if they don't deliver on their objectives, sort of how they let the team down. And he was an unbelievably strong mentor for me to sort of see, you know, what was a what was a really professional but strong way to run a business where you empowered trusted and it sounds like um, that learning from others you've had some key mentors there um how, how has that sort of network of mentorship and partners changed since you first founded a business and is it something you still think about and curate now yeah so i i would say mentors for me i've been very lucky have come by nature they come by people I've met on the journey that I've kept relationships with. And that's how I would say, uh, so the gentleman that I just mentioned, you know, Steve Jakes has been retired for some years, but I still see him every, every, you know, twice a year to talk about business and to talk about what we're doing and to get his perspective on them because, you know, he, he, he was someone I still consider to be one of the best business leaders I work with. Now I've also then obviously gone on to meet other uh, people, um, you know, but Sean Whelan, who was, you know, um, a, you know, I think I was one of his very early investment director roles at ECI, just to show how long ago it was with Clarity Blue. Um, so no managing partner, uh, maybe a glint in his eye for that, but he was a long way off at that time. But I've maintained that relationship with Sean, for instance, because he's a clearly a very, very good leader of businesses and, and understands the economics of them very strongly. So I think it's for me, mentorship is really around, you know, when you work for people you have a lot of respect for, 
can you create a relationship with those people which is i think what dixon's taught me you know you know that classic adage but it's absolutely true make your boss your partner you know and that and that served me brilliantly and you mentioned your leadership style is um just being yourself and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't have you got any examples where it hasn't worked and you've had to change tack or where it's kind of informed something that happened at a business what I, they would say is i have a lot of empathy but not a lot of sympathy, right? <laughs> you know, so with empathy and good people understanding, you you know, the style has to change to get the best out of that person. So I think it's more about, you know, naturally, if you've played a lot of team sport, I played a lot of team sport when I was young, particularly rugby, and that teaches you, I think that particular sport teaches you a lot about how to um, uh, build a really strong relationship with the other 14 players that you're playing that sport with. Because if you don't, you get really badly hurt. You know, you have to adapt to work with the individuals because everyone is different. So, yes, there is adaption to it. But I, but what I would say is, you know, when you're leading high growth businesses and they aspire to be high growth companies, high performance, um, then normally that issue will work itself out. You attract the right people, I suppose, once you have a particular culture. Yeah, you know, in, in in every technology company I've worked in is the one thing I would say is absolutely consistent in the 27 years now I've worked around large data or tech businesses of scale, um, change is a constant. So if people really don't like change, then they should not work for technology companies. And in fact, what I would say is in the last five to 10 years, uh, the pace of that change is only getting quicker. Um, you know, we now today, you know, you know, I would say, you know, working with some phenomenal founders uh, in the US of a company called Flywheel and Perpetua, we've created the modern day Clarity Blue. You know, it now serves big brands to optimize their businesses into the marketplaces. But I would say the significant biggest difference between today's version and the one 22 years ago is, you know, stuff that worked yesterday in Amazon may not work today. You know, and that is, you know, literally you you start every day knowing you may well be adapting what was very successful yesterday to make it work today. 22 years ago, you, you, we were not on that cycle. And that ability to adapt and stay innovative. So you've worked at some very large companies. You mentioned IBM there, but also Experian and Sky. It's often difficult as you scale to keep that sort of innovative mindset and that agility and very easily it can get drowned in bureaucracy is that something you've seen and is it something you've had to try and tackle yeah look I think it's human nature to create environments where effectively if you're not careful it can become more about the process of the work and not the work and that I think is the kind of key ethos I've always tried to instill in organizations that I've run and the best example I can give you of that, and people certainly know that here. So, you know, meetings are usually the biggest sort of cause of that problem. And, and so, you know, meetings aren't work. Meetings are there for good communication, which means that that, that and that's all the purpose they really serve, right, is to get a group of individuals sort of uh, on a single page, hopefully. But, you know, let, let's be all be honest. We've been in enough meetings to know that's not where they end up. But, you know, that should be the goal of them. And so, you know, I've never been a great fan of meetings. I, you know, I much rather see 
small number of focus meetings and then people get in amongst the key activities that the business does to really understand on a kind of day-to-day basis what are the challenges that the company is facing and so you can sort of adapt change to that very quickly and in fact you know, be Sky B, because that's what it was called when I was there. It's now Sky, obviously. But certainly the culture that James Murdoch implemented there and then was taken on to great success by Jeremy Darrick. You know, that I have to say is probably the biggest company I've worked in in the last, you know, in terms of size and revenues, particularly as when it was part of News Corp. But the innovative culture that they sustained in that business and its ability to move at pace when it had... 30,000 employees was really impressive, Fiona. So it does demonstrate that actually innovation, speed, uh, reaction to the market, et cetera, you know, doesn't actually have any relation, you know, it has no correlation to the size of the company. It's the culture of how the company's run. And then the second thing I would say is be really, really careful, and this happens over time, you know, of bringing in roles that then just by nature end up expanding and where then becomes a, a an organization where where sort of work is created for work's sake and that those are the two things that I try to balance as much as possible and you don't always get that right so for example you know I, I lead our businesses here you know we've created our digital commerce business through acquisition and through uh, mainly organic growth though and we've gone from 2016 where we had eight million of revenue, to this year where we're targeting in excess of 300 million. So very fast growth, you know, but actually we have a monthly executive management meeting and then I do 30 minute one-to-ones every other week with my executives. That's the meeting culture of the business. And do you think that's something that has to be set from the top? Because I suppose people seem to somehow be addicted to meetings. They kind of become reassuring, but often that works up and down. It's to go into, isn't it, a meeting? I mean, it's a nice, you know, particularly if you've not got to be a major contributor to it as well. And it's amazing how quickly um, lists of attendees grow if you're not careful as well. So my preference is small numbers of meet, you know, small number of attendees, very focused meetings, no more than 45 minutes max, um, you know, half an hour preferable. and where again, you know, it, it, there's no easy ride in those meetings. If you're not a contributor, then you should be coming to it in the future, right? Yeah, I think I saw um, a company that started putting automatically the cost of each meeting by people time. And they started seeing number of meetings, unsurprisingly, massively reduced, number of people invited, massively down. I think people forget about that time cost of each meeting. Yeah, agreed. And as the companies get bigger, it is the more dangerous element of what can happen. I mean, Stanley Calms, when you think that, you know, Dixon's got to being a very, very big company when I was still there, you know, his clap, you know, it was a bit direct, but it worked. You know, his view was bureaucracy is the cancer of every company. And it was his job as chief surgeon to keep removing it. And that was sort of, you know, he, he would openly say that. And I think it, you know, probably in today's world, it's a bit too direct, you know, or, you know, whatever in the message, but, but the message I think is still as valuable. That was Duncan Painter discussing why mentorship is so valuable to leadership teams and why meetings might not be. In our next episode, Duncan shares his views on the future of data and data services businesses, why dashboards might be irrelevant to your business and the importance of client sponsorship from the top.